Welcome back to the Mandarin Blueprint Podcast. My name is Phil Crimmins. This week, actually over the past two weeks, Mandarin Blueprint was featured in two news articles and short videos of the two largest media companies in China, uh, state-run media companies Xinhua, Xinhua Shuo, which is the largest uh, state-run media company in China, thus making it the largest media company, and the second largest, which is Zhongxin Shuo. And so I'll leave links to both of those below. It's all in Chinese, uh, but you can check out um, the reporter interviewing me and talking a little bit about what we do at Mandarin Blueprint. And you can get a little look at our studio and, uh, you know, how it all works there. I work from home, so you'll get a little chance to see my house here in Chengdu. And uh, if you have any feedback for us on that, we'd love to hear it. And, of course, you know, things things like that, share them on uh, Facebook and stuff. You know, share them around because... We like people to see that what we're doing here is not just getting the attention of people who want to learn Chinese, but Chinese people as well. They find it to be quite an interesting uh, thing that we're doing over here because, of course, from their perspective, they're like, shouldn't it be a, a Chinese teacher, a Chinese national who teaches uh, Chinese? And we're like, well, you know, of course, that's always great for when you already have a good foundation. But for the foundation building at the moment, as many of you know, as longtime listeners to Mandarin Blueprint, uh, unfortunately... It's not usually like that when it comes to the teachers in the country. Their methods for, for teaching uh, are based on how they teach children. And, of course, how you teach children Chinese when you're in school and in a school system is very different from how you might teach an adult foreigner. So hopefully you'll find those two articles interesting. The one uh, in Xinhua, the, the one in Zhongxinshu Zhong is coming out this morning, and the one from... Uh, Xinhua came out last week and has over 4 million views. That's amazing. I, uh, very exciting stuff. All right, cool. So we'll get into this week's questions. The first email to come in this week is from Chad. And Chad, as many of you know who listen to the podcast, has been a long time uh, listener to the podcast slash, you know, a member of the Mandarin Blueprint course. And he uh, had sent us an email that Luke addressed last week. Uh, about what he has been doing in the course because he essentially was working on some characters, realized that he was kind of falling behind on the sentences, so he decided to take a break on the characters and work mostly on the sentences. And so Luke talked about that in the previous show, and he sent us a follow-up email. He said, I did not I did end up getting all approximately 1,100 sentences. I was behind, all fin uh, behind on, all finished, and I am now current, just finished character 329. I definitely feel different with my reading ability. It's not something I can put into words, but it's kind of like when I have to mount a big 20-inch tire, which is difficult and heavy, and then the next car has a 15-inch tire, and I can do it easily. <laughs> LOL. I see certain sentences now in Anki that were more difficult for me to read than now, and now I just look at the characters and don't even really translate in my head. I just know what it means. I also notice that I'm recognizing more when I'm watching Chinese movies. And it's not just individual words, but I can get whole sentences. I think that it's important for people to know that the bold claims made about the course are 100% true. You will learn it at, at the level claimed. And if the course, of course, if the course instructions are followed... I went from zero Chinese on January 19th of this year to where I am now at a pace I'm comfortable with. So there's a couple things I'd like to mention here. First of all, uh, Chad's really getting across a good point. It's a good metaphor. You know, he works in a uh, mechanic shop. So talking about the tire, the 20-inch tire versus the 15-inch tire, 
you know, there's a there's definitely something to be said for the effort that you put in, in the early days. If it's more, you know, sort of conscious and intentful and sort of um, the kind of thing where you're spending a good amount of time on each individual sentence, it does pay off because, you know, eventually you see sentences that are either simpler or that are in the same structure. And like suddenly it's like that 15 inch tire. Whereas if you just started with the 15 inch tire right from the beginning, that might seem hard, but it's like all relative. It's all the valence that you put on the difficulty. So sure, we're all going to have those moments of feeling like, ah, this is really tough at the moment. But amazingly, what can happen is that if you just sort of immerse yourself in that way of thinking, it's less time than you think it'll be before it feels like that 15 inch tire and it's quite quick. So great to hear that. And uh, also great to see that you're recognizing whole sentences in Chinese movies now. That's uh, excellent. And then the second thing I wanted to point out here is something that will dovetail into the next comment. But, you know, Chad's also been somebody who has taken the course at a leisurely pace, shall we say. We've had some people who go for the course, you know, full on hitting it four or five hours a day, maybe even full time. And that's awesome, of course. But, you know, Chad's got a full time job, got a family. He's, you know, busy guy. So he can't spend, you know, hours and hours a day on it. So he puts some time in every day, but it's not a huge amount. And so even though it's been, you know, not quite a year, He's only at character 329, but as he said, moving at a pace that he's comfortable with. And so I'm going to get back to Chad's point there after I address Alina's question, which is came in from the Mandarin Blueprint community. She says, hi, friends. I was wondering if you have some personal strategies or thoughts for still making some progress when you go through periods you don't really have enough free time for Chinese. It is already a month and a half, and I really struggle, but I feel like there's not much progress because of the lack of time. I managed to repeat the Anki and the Hanza sets, but that is all managed. I managed to do daily. There were some days I could do more, but things go repeatedly this way that I do not have the continuity uh, in anything else, and it's becoming more and more frustrating. All kind of unexpected happenings with doctors, with my children, and so on keep coming. And winter holidays will come soon. That means children will be home all day long, so I don't feel very optimistic. Any ideas? How do you organize yourself? What do you find very important to do daily as a minimum? To feel like it's still progress until better days will come. So the reason why I think that this question dovetails so, so well into what Chad said in the previous message is because, you know, there's a sense that there's a deadline for learning Chinese or getting to a point where you're at a reasonable level of fluency and you know, that sense is something that is somewhat self-imposed. So, you know, I'm not exactly sure how old Alina is, but she has kids. And so, you know, we can assume that she's probably somewhere in, you know, middle age, 30s, 40s, maybe. And so you could think of it in terms of the rest of your life, right? So, I'm not saying that, you know, uh, once, you know, cut it up so much that once you reach your deathbed, then you're finally fluent in Chinese. That's not what I mean. But what I mean is try to think of things in a larger time scale because, you know, there's nothing wrong with it taking six years at a half hour a day before you reach fluency. Because what's interesting is that in the scope of your life, all those years that you're able to speak Chinese and read Chinese will 
feel much longer than the time it took to learn the Chinese. So I've been learning Chinese almost six years now. And admittedly, I did do it with a very intent focus for many years. But it's kind of like uh, it isn't it doesn't matter that it took two years or four years or six years compared to the rest of my life. Right. So even though I definitely get this feeling, the key is that you don't have any zero days, which you're already doing. Uh, Alina. So it's like, if you're already having no zero days where you at least do some Anki and you at least uh, get your reviews done, then you're at least maintaining what you already know. And if you're maintaining what you already know, you're not losing. And so if you're not losing, then whatever you add later when you're not so busy is still making progress towards your goal. And the fact that, you know, during that several week busy period where you weren't able to make as much progress, the, the fact that you at least maintained means that it didn't really matter because there is no actual deadline, right? It's not like somebody's telling you, you must be literate and fluent in Chinese by this date. If that were the case, then I can understand the feeling. But it's almost like this feeling has been imposed by our education systems that we must get done by a certain time, but like, there's no deadline. So the fact that you know, the main thing is you don't want to regress. And it sounds like you won't as long as you're getting your Anki done. Now that said, Anki is uh, particularly good for these moments in your day that are sort of these cracks in your day. It's like, okay, you took the kids to school uh, and you have a moment in the car before you have to leave to get back to the next thing that you're doing. And so you got five minutes, so you pick up Anki and do a few cards. Um, that's one of those things that's great for those moments in the day. Um, you decide, okay, I'm going to get up 10 minutes earlier so that I can watch at least one or two videos. Um, 10 minutes isn't so much that you're going to, um, you know, lose too much sleep. So, but it's enough time that you get that little bit extra, um, time for a video. And then again, if you just combine those little ways of fitting it in with the recognition that there is no deadline and it's fine if it takes you 10 years to learn Chinese, uh, then, that can kind of like take the pressure off and then you can just fit it into the cracks of your day. And also it's somewhat of a short term feeling because I'm sure that, you know, you'll go through the holidays and things will calm down a bit and then you'll have more time. So that would be my suggestion. And, uh, you know, part of the reason it dovetails so well into what Chad's doing is that Chad is totally comfortable with taking it at the pace he's taking it. You know, there are people who in the same amount of time that Chad's been on the course have, you know, learned, maybe three or four times as much content, but it doesn't matter to Chad. Chad's not, not worried about that. Cause he's just like, I'm just learning Chinese at my pace. It's right for me. And there's no need to compare yourself to who somebody else is. Just compare yourself to where you are. Who, who, how am I now versus how am I in the past? That's all that matters. And the fact that you're maintaining is, is good enough for now, but great question. And I just want to empathize with that feeling of like, Oh, I wish I was making more progress. But remember, that standard is somewhat self-imposed and you can always rejigger that standard. That's the sort of, um, I guess you could say the more compassionate side of the, the Tao of habits as it were, um, which is some, an, a blog post I'm going to release soon called the, the Tao of habits. And, uh, the compassionate side's all about like, Hey, as long as you're maintaining and you're doing something every day, then you're moving towards your goal to some degree. And, and also maintaining, your current knowledge is a form of progress because you're solidifying it so that when new content comes in that contains the new material plus the 
material you already know. The material you already know aspect to it is even stronger, which makes learning the new material easier. So there is a form of progress there as well. So I hope that that helps uh, take a little bit of the pressure off of Lena. Next, we have an email from Carla Sanders. She says, I'm loving this new approach. I've been hacking away at learning Mandarin on my own with occasional help from Chinese friends for about four years with minimal progress. They tell me my pronunciation is good, one helpful thing about having Chinese friends to listen to, but I've really struggled with vocab. Having three levels of this to learn has been rough. I'm 60 and is not as quick as I used to be. I'm so happy to have a way to integrate tones, characters, and pinyin together. I read Moonwalking with Einstein several years ago and have used some of the Memory Palace techniques for other things, but I never would have thought to use it in this way. Thank you. I also love how your how linear your approach is. I'm done with hop, skipping, and jumping through video-based programs trying to figure out where the heck I am. One question, I used the Kajabi app for the pronunciation part of the program, and it was fine, but nothing seems to load when I click the mastery programs. Um, and, of course, yeah, that's something that has come up a lot. Apologies to everybody who's trying to use the Kajabi app on the foundation course. To me, it's, it's frustrating that they haven't figured this out yet because it's been out for over a month and... You know, the foundation course just doesn't load on their app. Uh, as I mentioned before, we jumped the gun a little bit on sending out the announcement about that. We shouldn't have probably said anything until we were sure it worked. But, uh, yeah, the uh, Kajabi app, Kajabi is the platform that we host the course on. They released an app so that you could more easily use any course that's on their platform. But our foundation course is so big that it doesn't load. And so, you know, we've met, we've messaged them. Some of our students have messaged them, and so far they haven't fixed it. It's one of the frustrating things about having a, uh, you know, obviously having a third-party app like Kajabi help us upload our video course is hugely helpful. But one of the disadvantages of not having it in your own shop is that when something like this happens, we don't have the means to just go and fix it. Uh, you know, we have to rely on this third party. And so um, luckily, though, it still works fine on the website and on your desktop. So, you know, you can use it there. And as for Carla's, um, you know, comments here, Moonwalking with Einstein is a great book by Joshua Fowler, if you haven't heard of it. And it's basically about how to use the memory techniques of the great world memory champions. And so uh, that's essentially some of the, like, base level techniques that we use when we teach characters. And so I'm glad to hear that Carla, from that particular lens, sees the value of the Hensley movie method. That's great to see. Next, we have from Adam Carnellini, Cardellini in the community. He says, G'day, folks. I am slowly getting through the early stages of the Mandarin Blueprint Method and have accumulated a few words made up of two characters, for example, de hua. I have associated these with an image, as suggested, but they just aren't sticking. I found it difficult to pick an image for these, and I don't feel that I'm doing a good job at associating the characters and words. I would love to hear how you've been approaching the word reviews. What have you found works for you? It's frustrating because despite finding the single character process very successful, I have a stack of word reviews in my Anki deck that I stare at blankly and repeat 10 times before I can mark as good for the day. Cheers, Adam. So first of all, there were a couple people who replied to Adam in the uh, on the community with great answers, including Ija, but I'll take a crack at giving these some uh, answers as well. So you can bear this in mind, Adam. So one thing is that Phase two of the course, it's almost like a honeymoon period with words. Like, we're not saying that 
this is the end all and be all with words. As a matter of fact, once you get into more sentences, that's when words really start to make more sense. We're just trying to say like, hey, here's an idea of how you can put words together. And de hua is indeed a very common phrasal grammatical pattern, you know, um, So like if you if you come to China, you have to go to the Great Wall. Like that would be a way you would use de hua. But that's kind of a grammatical structure. So it's one of the rare instances of something super abstract. Uh, it, we're usually the vocab cards, the way they work well is if you have an image for something like a zhuozi, which is just table and you pick your favorite table or you pick like Arthur's round table or something. And then you go, okay, uh, that is going to be my image for zhuozi because that's a real object. But when it's something like this is a grammatical particle, that essentially means if it's like okay, I can understand why that would be a little bit tough to come up with something. However, uh, you can think about things. Now it's gonna it's gonna get personal, of course. But like, take something like when I see the word "if," I think of a comedy special. It was almost like a comedy special slash lecture by Dimitri Martin called "If I," and it's all about five different meanings of "if" and you know um, how he his weird brain you know interprets that, and it was sort of a fun little interesting comedy special slash lecture and uh i could just imagine dimitri martin uh with you know maybe uh something that he did in that special or just a shirt that says wearing a shirt of his just says if and that could be my image for the hua because even though it might seem like that has nothing to do with the chinese uh sort of uh, definition of a grammatical particle you'll use in a sentence, it is a personal connection to me and my memories, right? So in the same way that everything with the hands of movie method is surrounding your personal experiences, don't forget that you have so many personal experiences that you can tap that could potentially create a stronger, like you you already have a strong memory of something. You're just trying to tie in to that. But to the point that Ija made, in her response, she said, you're going to get a more of a sense of many of the abstract meanings of words when you see them in larger contexts. So, you know, when you see something in a larger context and have more abstract words uh, in the context of a sentence or a paragraph or a larger story, that's when you're really going to start to get them. So, you know, these images uh, to apply to two character or three or four character words, the reason we do it is because you're not ready to have larger context yet. So we might as well try to find some context from your past personal experience, but it's not like you have to do this forever. As a matter of fact, when you get to the intermediate course, we drop the vocab word reviews completely because you have enough foundational knowledge to be able to learn all new vocabulary in context right from the jump. And so uh, I would say that if you're, if you're having trouble with it and you want to just keep the word reviews suspended for a bit, that's fine. Uh, if you realize that there's any particular word that's kind of abstract or giving you trouble, that's fine to uh, leave out as well. And um, the main thing is if you're finding something that you struggle with, make sure that you remember you got to protect how you feel about your study. And if your study feels very, it starts, if it starts to feel like a burden, then it's important to, you know, move on to the next thing and just leave, just suspend it, leave it out, whatever you have to do. Uh, so hopefully that'll be helpful and give you some new ways to think about it, Adam. Next, we have some comments from J.A. in the Mandarin Blooper community. He left a couple of comments um, 
And let's see what he said here. He says, uh, the first comment, so this was in a question about the HSK. And so he has some questions about the HSK. And it was an interesting sort of um, series of comments to go through. So uh, he asks, is there noted anywhere any correlation between the Mandarin Blueprint method and the HSK? I believe long-term plans are to get the course lessons all the way through the HSK 5 or 6. But I'd be interested if there's any intermediate checkpoints. For example, once you're through MBM level X, you should be able to pass HSK Y. I trust that OCLO, Optimal Character Learning Order, is the better order, and the Mandarin Blueprint Method is the best method for learning spoken Mandarin, nor am I planning on taking HSK. I'm mostly just curious, but it would be useful for calibrating any outside reading, like graded readers, the chairman's bow, and such. And I mentioned that uh, after the intermediate course is finished, the HSK... Uh, the HSK 1, 2, 3, and 4, for sure, you'll be able to pass easily. As a matter of fact, I'd even think that you might even be able to pass the HSK 5. It's hard to say because the HSK 5 definitely does have some vocabulary that you won't know by the end of the intermediate course, but your grammar and uh, understanding of sentence flow and understanding of characters will be so strong that you might still even be able to pass it. It's hard to say, but I answered by being like, well, the, the HSKs 1, 2, and 3 aren't really worth taking as a test for the simple reason that they're like the you know the hk one two and three aren't going to impress anybody on a resume let's put it that way you know it's like maybe it's good as a uh you know checkpoint for yourself but you know jay is saying well i don't want to take the hsks i just want to know as a barometer and that's when it's like well for me if you're not going to take the hsks then ignore them like they're not a good metric for figuring out where to go now it's like other people do so like chairman's bow will um categorize things by hsk and so it might be easier but there has to be we have to draw a line somewhere we don't like the hsk the hsk is not a very good uh method for figuring out whether or not you're you know chinese i mean i passed the hsk six after two years of study and i remember thinking like i am not my perception of my own Chinese is that it's not good enough to have passed this test, but I did. And it's because, you know, the the test itself isn't actually a good metric of whether or not you can use Chinese in day-to-day -day life, whether or not you can comprehend Chinese. And so to some degree, it's like if other companies are using the HSK as their barometer, that's fine. But like, we only use the HSK as a barometer because we have to have something that says, all right, you know, if you want to take this test that's the only internationally recognized test for Chinese as a second language, then sure, we'll start telling you about it from the HSK 4. But the HSKs 1, 2, and 3 are so unimportant that like I can't really justify trying to figure out exact it's like trying to fit a round peg into a square hole. So like, you know, we will say these characters are more important, but the HSK won't particularly cover these characters. They're considered HSK 4 or 5, but they should be taught earlier. And then there's other characters the HK, HSK teaches early. The, there's no need to learn so early. You can learn them later. And so it's kind of like that one particularly, particularly the second one. So there are times where it's like, well, we didn't introduce this HSK 2 word until much later because it should never have been in HSK 2 in the first place. And I'm not going to, we're not going to try to fit this word in early because it's not the right time to see it. You should see it later. And so you can imagine that if we're trying to make the HSK, you know, work for the Mandarin, in the Mandarin Blueprint method, we're going to have to change the method to the point where it stops being as good. And so I would, uh, you know, recommend that 
you're not if you're not going to take the HSK, don't worry about the HSK and just follow the Mandarin blueprint method, and you know you'll get there soon enough. And then, as he pointed out, that he checked Mandarin Companion, which we're going to be integrating some of their material into our course uh, relatively soon. I mean, like there's so much on our plate right now, but we're working on it. Um, and he said, I just checked Mandarin Companion. They don't seem to use HSK, so maybe my assumptions are wrong. They use number of unique characters. Level 1 is, uh, well, their breakthrough level is 150 characters, and then level 1 is 300, level 2, 450, but probably not the same first 300 or 450 you chose for Aklo. I'll bet that there's good overlap, though, so I might try the 300 character stuff when I go get to between 300 and 350 characters from Mandarin Bluebird Method. Well, as for that, Jay... We're going to be integrating some of the Mandarin Companion uh, material into the Mandarin Blue Method course, and most of it is actually coming a little bit later because you're right. It's not like the 300 characters that they picked is exactly the same as the 300 characters we have right at the beginning. Uh, it's m closer to the end of the Foundation course that a lot of the Mandarin Companion stuff starts to become 98% comprehension, which is what you want. You want 98% comprehension to get that extensive reading level. Anyway, hope that's helpful in regards to your uh, response, uh, your comments that you left in the Mandarin Blueprint community. Next, we have an email from. Sorry, this is not a uh, an email. This is a comment on make a movie for sure from George. He had asked a question that I realized that I must not have answered correctly. So uh, he wants to he wanted to reframe his question. His original question was, "Where does the I go in the?" Um, the the sound for shirt so like if you have shirt we say that it is an sh initial with no final and uh he said uh he was like where does the i go right so he says one mandarin syllable consists of three letters sh and i shirt the same uh, the same syllable may also be described as consisting of an initial tone and final in this instance we are concerned with only the initial and the final we won't consider the tone that's fine uh, together, the initial and the final constitute the full and complete pinyin syllable as expressed by letters from the Roman alphabet. So this is the part that is not uh, actually correct. So he said, uh, the initial and final constitute the full and complete pinyin syllable as expressed by the letters of the Roman alphabet. So the Roman alphabet, going back to that square peg round hole idea, when they made the pinyin one of the rules they made for themselves was we must have a vowel, at least one vowel, in every single syllable. Now, this was a particular problem for the seven syllables that we call the fake I, which are zh, ch, sh, z, z, s, s. Those seven syllables don't really have a correlating Roman alphabet vowel, right? And so there's only five vowels, and so think about what they are. A, well, that already has a pronunciation with those seven initials. Sha, for example. Okay. Uh, e, also. Sure, that's a syllable already. Taken. I, not taken. O, not taken. U, taken. So you basically have a choice between I and O as your vowel for... But can you imagine how we would respond if it was if sh was spelled s-h-o or ch was spelled z-h-o does i mean of the two i is the more logical choice but it's not like it represents real sound so it's not actually true what george said here about 
uh, together the initial and final constitute the full and complete pinyin syllable? Well, no, because I is not representative of anything, really. It's just representative of the fact that they said we must have a vowel in every single pinyin syllable. So this is really the root of the problem, but I'll continue. The webpage of Make a Movie for Sure states that uh, this is the the character for time, states that the pinyin syllable sure consists of the initial sh and that goes on to say that the final of the sh syllable is null. And that's correct because, again, it does not represent anything, any sound. Uh, so it's an empty set. And empty sets take place in your childhood home. In the case of the pinyin syllable sure, a final syllable of null would not contain i. Yes, it does because that's the rule in pinyin, basically. So... Essentially, uh, the the writer's opinion, they, you, another way you could frame the rule is, what do you do with these seven syllables? What do you do with them if you have no final? Well, you add an I. I equals null. So, like, in the case of these seven syllables, it doesn't equal null for the I that is pronounced like E. Like, for example... Uh, T-I is T, then it's not a null uh, final there, but in the case of sh, the I is representative of null. So basically, uh, why does that vanish? Well, I've, I've pretty much successfully explained it at this point, so uh, that's why. Um, just basically those seven syllables are an exception, that's why we call them the fake I. Next, a comment from Ellery Hall on new vocabulary unlocked for 对面. There's a sentence here. The sentence is 你对面是个美女. He says, why doesn't the first sentence use 在 instead of 是? So the sentence is literally, translated literally, is you opposite side is a beautiful woman. And so uh, 对面 in this case, is, and this is the word that's being taught, in this case, is a noun, which is saying opposite from you. So it could be, you know, across from you in a room. It could be across the street. Point is, it's just on the opposite side. And so because it's a noun, it is the opposite side. And it could be, in the case of this case, it's your opposite side because it says ni duimian. Uh, so it's a noun. So in the same way, I can say tea is a drink. You can say noun is noun. So... The noun is the place opposite you. What is it? It's a beautiful woman, right? And you could say, in English, we'd, we'd express that as there is a beautiful woman opposite you. That's where she's located, right? But in, in Chinese, they conceptualize it as what is the op opposite of you? What is opposite of you? Is it a store? Is it a camera? Is it a is it a beautiful woman? Is it a microphone? You know, like these, what is opposite you? And that is, when you think of it in the context of just like noun is noun, tea is a drink, then it is actually easy to understand. It's just that we don't usually frame it that way in English. But again, this is why learning a second language is quite useful because there's nothing conceptually wrong with the way Chinese breaks it down uh, because, hey, you can always say a noun is a noun. A noun is another noun. So, yeah. Hopefully that helps. John Grist on Make a Movie for C. He, he notes that the title has all the information except the meaning. For example, we'll say level 8, character number 60, and then we'll have the character Xi and the pinyin XI second tone. And uh, he says, could the meaning be added? So, first of all, there's two answers to this. One is 
if you're learning through the Anki cards, you should know how to type the character and then find the character. So if you type in XI, you should be able to find the character from your pinion keyboard. And uh, if you have a Windows machine, you can download Sohu, S-O-H-U. I believe it's Sohu. Yeah, Sohu, which is a keyboard for typing pinion. And if you have a Mac, it's uh, native. You just go to keyboard settings and add language, and you can uh, add pinion, and uh, then you can type. And you want to get to doing this as early as possible. You want to start typing in pinion as early as possible so that you can start typing messages to your Chinese friends as soon as possible. And you could say that if we put the meaning in there, then it would be easier to search for the meaning. But we want you to be able to find the characters by searching the character. So that's one aspect to it. And then the second aspect to it is that, um, you know, there's there's certain decisions you have to make when you're doing a project like ours with limited time and resources. And, you know, the, the further along we get in the course, if we make a change like that, it means we have to change that across the entire course, which is, you know, hours and hours of labor for our assistant where they could be doing something else because there's never... They're, they're always doing something, right, to make the course better. And that, to me, is um, it's such a marginal difference that it doesn't seem like it's worth it when there's actually a benefit to not putting it there. Like, the benefit to not putting it there is that it forces you, if you want to search the course for the uh, character you're looking for, that you have to type the character. Which a character 60 might seem hard, but it's not going to be hard once you get even a little bit further in the course. So, uh, as much as I uh, appreciate... Uh, anybody asking us for ways that we can make the course a little bit more user-friendly, sometimes if there's a little bit of a challenge, that challenge encourages you, just like Chad was saying earlier with the 20-inch tire versus the 15-inch tire. By making this a 20-inch tire here and saying, eh, make it a little bit harder for you to search, it forces you to therefore use the pinion keyboard, which is something you should be practicing. So uh, that's what I would say around that. John Grist again on Make a Movie for Shaol. Uh, the scene could be in a kitchen, bathroom, bedroom, or outside set. Well, I mean, it should be theoretically in the kitchen because it's a second tone, shall. Would it be better to tie into the kitchen, filling a teapot with the dropper, right? Because we have uh, the dropper and um, the uh, what is called the wrap component. Looking, looking for a spoon in the drawer or making a Mexican wrap on the kitchen table. Well, I mean... You go in the kitchen because it's second tone. It's not like you choose the kitchen because you want to have use the things that come with the kitchen. Um, you can always try to do that if you want. Like, oh, it happens to be a second tone, so like, let's use the features of a kitchen to help make the scene stronger. But there are so many things that could help make your scene stronger that uh, there's no need to like force it. So, like for example, you know, suppose that it was pronounced with third tone. Uh, I, you know, it should be in the bedroom because third tones take place in the bedroom. And so by putting it in the kitchen, you're just likely to confuse yourself. Uh, but in this case, a spoon happens to be appropriate to be in the kitchen and it's second tone. So it works out. So there's, uh, but don't think of it like use the room that's most appropriate for the meaning. Think of it like, you know, see how the meaning can be helped by the room, but don't change the room because you're just like, you're likely to confuse yourself in the future. Like, I was in the kitchen for this scene, uh, but it's a third tone. So even though every other scene I have in the kitchen is a second tone, this one's a third tone. Like, how are you going to remember that this was the exception in the future? So I would recommend not making exceptions on your tone rooms. 
Kathleen Gans on Make a Movie for Jeanne. I love this question. I've looked this character up in several dictionaries and not one mentions appearance as a definition. So, first of all, I love this because Kathleen's sharp. She's looking things up. She's checking. She's making sure that we're on point. And uh, this was something that was kind of a surprise to me, too, because... And, and she's right. If you look up, if you look in Pleco or something and you look up Jeanne, which is a very common character and it's in lots of words, uh, you're not going to see appearance as one of the definitions. But I got this from our professor, Yoli Laoshi, who is uh, the man. He was such a great professor at Sichuan University. And he always said, if you just think of Jeanne as meaning Yangzi, which is English translates as appearance, then it will make a lot more sense. And so there are so many characters that use um, Ran as its uh, particular, it just in the word, there's so many words. There's a, I mean, the most common is Ran Ho, which just means after. Uh, you've got Zi Ran, Tu Ran, Hu Ran. Let's see here, what else do we have? Um, uh, Xiang Ran. There's so many different Rans that come in. Uh, all of these words. And usually, if you translate it as appearance or you think of it as meaning appearance, it makes a lot of sense. And so all I'll say for now is just like any of our keywords, you don't necessarily have to completely grasp how the character is going to be used right now. But if you imagine it as appearance, it will end up being quite useful to you in the future. And so I appreciate that you've looked it up and tried to find these different uh, sort of uh, definitions for it, and you're like, hey, is, are, are these Mandarin Blueprint guys totally leading me astray? But trust me, we I did this, and I thought of Zhan as appearance, and it like just made me grasp new words that contain Zhan that much faster. So you'll be fine. Kathleen again on Make a Movie for Lo. Um, oh, she says a lot of these YouTube links are broken. Would it be possible going forward to name the podcast number and the timestamp? Oh, okay. Well, I didn't realize that a lot of the links were broken. I'm going to have to look into uh, how our assistant is finding and making the links because uh, that's a problem. So sorry about that. Uh, hopefully, we'll be able to fix that. That shouldn't be happening. Okay, Dan, on pick a prop for um, – this is for bow or rap. He says, I missed when the prop was covered for um, – th there's two versions of this prop. There's the one that's a little bit bigger and the one that's slightly cut off. The flashcard links back to this video, but there's no mention of it. It's the same. It's the same thing. It's the same set of strokes. It just gets cut off a little earlier. So uh, you, if you want, you could have like a um, a cast or a Mexican wrap or a, uh, you know, all these different types of wraps and make, maybe make it something slightly different, but it's fundamentally it's the same strokes. It's just one of them gets cut off a little bit earlier. So uh, that's all that is, Dan. All right, so this next one is a practical one that relates to how we're going to get you guys audio files. And so this one is a little bit of a, what the Chinese would say, tong, and it makes my head hurt because there's tech problems with it. So I'll explain. So Wilson Wynn on uh, the lesson in the pronunciation mastery that talks about how we get you files for listening to the pinyin finals. He says, I'm on the go and not always connected to the internet to access Google Drive files. Can you still provide the EPUB files as an offline option as well? The Google Slides audio files are also a bit difficult to maneuver on the phone. So here's the deal. I almost wish I had never heard of what an EPUB file was because I knew about them. And because I had a Mac, I never knew that there was a problem with using EPUB files on a Windows machine, which apparently 
it's like Windows doesn't want to use EPUB files because uh, they're too easily shareable. So I had made all these, I'd made the suggestion ages ago to use these EPUB files, not knowing that there was a problem there. Then I thought, okay, Google Drive uh, and Google Slides now adds the ability to put audio in their files and it has a make available offline option. So this could be the solution that works for all users because we don't want to have to have this solution is for Mac users and this solution is for PC users because it's just a nightmare. It just adds more things for us to do that are just because of platform differences. If there's something that works on both platforms, that should be fine. So the Google Slides thing, you know, uh, appeared to be the solution because, uh, you know, you've got this 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 you know Google is not specific to Windows or Mac. You both can use it, and uh, it's um, you know as far as I knew there was a make available offline option, which there is. But turns out, oops, sorry. When you make it available offline, the audio files aren't available offline. You can still see the Google slide, but you can't play the audio files. So it was like, oh come on. <laughs> it was such a disappointing discovery last week. It was like, really? I said, you know, because I spent all last week converting everything to Google Slides, and I'm still working on that for the uh, stories. So here's the deal, Wilson. Uh, you know, some things are going to only be available online. These are, these are tech limitations that we have. You know, what I would recommend is that when you're on the go, use that as an opportunity to do your Anki, because you can sync your Anki and then do it offline. Uh, but if you're trying to do audio files that come from the opinion finals or the stories, you'll just have to do that when you have internet access. I mean, we have internet access most of the time these days. So, uh, you know, hopefully that will be, that will be good enough. I apologize. It's just a tech issue with windows, not being able to use EPUBs and then Google slides, not letting audio files be available offline. So unfortunately it's just, you know, I don't know a solution. If anybody out there knows of a solution, um, I'm, you know, certainly more than happy to hear it, but this one has been driving us nuts because we're just trying to give give you guys audio files in a convenient way. And like, it looks like Google Slide is the only one that's going to work for both platforms, but unfortunately it's only going to be available online. So that's the current situation at the moment. I apologize um, uh, for the inconvenience, but at the same, in the same breath, Mandarin Blueprint method is not lacking in things to do. So, uh, you know, while this particular thing that you can do is only available when you're online, I mean, there are other things you can do, you know, namely Anki that uh, you can do offline. Here's a, here's a question that comes in a lot from J.A. He says, where does Buguo fit in compared to Kushi and Danshi? So, the like, I'm going to give you a short answer and then I'm going to give you a specific answer. So, the short answer is don't worry about it because they all are essentially surrounding the same idea of a change in tone. So, but, B-U-T. are barely different at all. is technically a little bit more formal, but you can totally say in spoken Chinese. does have a little bit more of a tone of like a... You know, there's this situation, which is one way, but there's this other situation that's another way. Like, uh, he, uh, the, you know, he's um, feeling better, but his appetite's not back. He's, you know, he's a sick, uh, somebody who's been feeling sick. And so it's like, 
Uh, he's feeling a bit better, but his appetite's still no good. Okay, you might use Pagula there because you're kind of saying there's this one thing, but then there's this other thing. And, you know, Densher and Kusher don't really have necessarily have that. You could use Densher there, um, but Pagula is, is like a little bit more focused on that. But the thing about that is is your your language module will pick up on this and you'll tend to want to use Danshu and Kushu and Bugo uh, in the right place. And so that's why I say don't worry about it because the more input that you get, you'll just know. You'll just know, eh, this doesn't feel right to use Bugo. I'm going to use Kushu here. And uh, I know that sometimes like you want the answer, but it's like kind of just the answer is keep reading and keep getting comprehensible input because then you'll just know. And so... Uh, because and one thing that's really important to remember on that too is that this is you never learned anything in English. I mean, maybe the occasional exception, but for the most part, in your native language, everything that you learn and when you know how to use what word is all instinctual. Like you don't necessarily know the exact reason for when you use, uh, you know, however versus but or versus um, rather. You know, it's like you just use them in whatever form feels appropriate because the reason it feels appropriate is because you've heard it or comprehended it enough times that it just you know it's correct or you know that something's incorrect because you've never heard it that way so that's uh my annoying but repetitive and correct advice on grammar fred snyder on it's a word for jong thanks for the answer phil many times i fell back on the same explanation when teaching my friends english it just doesn't sound natural or a native speaker wouldn't say it quite that way a reminder that language is more art than science again this is the same thing where i was kind of uh i think that sentence was uh which is just saying there's an e in that guy's name and he was asking why does why is the jong there and my answer was essentially like it sounds weird if you don't put the jong like and it's a it's sort of saying it's somewhere within there within the name is jong and i but i can't exactly tell you why is it that it must must be there and i think it is possible that it doesn't have to be there but it usually is so like it's just one of those things where i've seen it enough that i know and that's the answer like it's, it really just does come down to just keep reading just keep reading and you'll uh, eventually have just a feeling for it like yesterday i was getting interviewed by jong xin shu and you know, I was talking about loads of stuff, and when you're really in the flow of speaking, you're not planning it out. You just go, can I say this? Yeah, I can definitely say this. And the way you know it works is that people understand you, and the way you know it um, – like, and I, a couple of times, I went down a path of trying to say something super abstract, and I was like, oh, no, that's not right. <laughs> and then I just went – just changed it into something that felt right. And that's how it always works once you acquire language properly. Adam Cardellini on time to get real about sentences. So this is in phase three. Uh, Adam says, that was really motivating. Being being able to understand each sentence uh, shown is very satisfying. Thanks. It sure is, isn't it? Like once you start reading Chinese without pinyin, you're like, whoa, all those Chinese restaurants and all those weird characters. And, you know, whenever I saw Chinatown in movies or saw it in real life and like saw all those characters, I can actually read those now. It's so cool. And then like, you know, you can be genuinely proud of that. And that all comes down to your hard work. Garth Grescu on new vocabulary unlocked for Yixia. Luke and Phil, I appreciate your care in crafting the perfect sentences to test and practice our growing vocabulary. Well, thanks Garth. Garth always leaves these nice comments. And, uh, you know, this is something that we knew if you guys just hit 
the comprehensible input as hard as possible once you have enough characters, you know, there's a point that you reach where you go, oh, I'm going to succeed. And that's that. We just want to get you to that point. Because really, once you get to that point, your motivation will become self-sustaining. And then once you reach a certain point, once you reach enough a point where you know enough content, then you don't even need Mandarin Blueprint anymore because you can just start reading Chinese in the real world. So uh, great stuff. All right. So that's all, all for our miscellaneous questions. So I'm going to go into some updates about the course. Kind of already mentioned this in the um, bit with Wilson, but now all of the previously EPUB files that people who were Windows users were struggling with are now on Google Slides. So if you're in the pronunciation mastery, this is for the EPUB files in the pronunciation mastery for each of the pinyin finals. I put them all in the uh, sidebar of pronunciation mastery. So if at any point you wish to be reminded of how to say any particular final with all of the initials that it can be combined with and also see them used in common words, you can click one of those. You'll need to be online, as we just discovered with uh, Wilson. I thought you know that we'd be able to have them available offline as well because Google Slides does have an, a an option called make available offline. But unfortunately, I discovered that after I had made all of them, of course, <laughs> that when you make it available offline, it does allow you to see the slide and it does allow you to see everything in it, but you can't play the audio files. I was like, come on, Google. But, uh, you know, it is what it is. So um, you'll have to be online for it. But hey, there's a lot of stuff you can do with the Mandarin Blueprint method. So if you happen to have to be offline, there's still stuff that you can work on. And when you are online, you can get access to these uh, Google shared Google Slides and play all the audio files uh, regardless of whether you're a Windows user or a Mac user. So that is finally solved. I'm working on doing the same thing for the uh, uh, EPUB stories because, again, we don't just want Windows users to be unable to use this stuff. And so uh, we're going to get those over onto Google Slides. And we're also, in regarding the, uh, the stories... We're going to change the way we approach them a little bit in phase five and phase and like post phase five. We haven't really broken everything in the intermediate down into phases yet, but there are about 70 to 80 stories or so that I need to run through our analysis um, software to figure out exactly at which level you will know these at 90 and 98% comprehension. Now, uh, so I'm going through the stories that are currently in phase five, and I'm reanalyzing them for two things. So I'm basically saying, okay, at this level, you know it at 90%, and you've seen them in your Anki cards, you've seen all the sentences before, so it's not like it's a, it's a hard 90%, it's a 90% where you've previewed each individual sentence, but we'll still, and still get you the top-down words. But then I'm also in, analyzing it for when they reach 98% because at 98% that's when uh, um, at 98% that's when you reach that extensive reading threshold and when you have extensive reading that's where you know a lot of the language acquisition research suggests that that is the optimal language acquisition zone so we basically tell you okay at level 35 you're at 90% comprehension and then at level 43 you're at 98% comprehension and then what we'll do is in the course will notify you each time you reach one of these thresholds and then, of course, give you the link to that particular story so that you can read through it. And especially when you're at 98%, that's going to be super helpful. So these uh, we have <laughs> so much content to run through this analysis, but we'll be continue to add them 
into the course and then you'll keep getting these great new uh, bits of content. So that's all for the course updates for now. Let's go on to the movie scene shares. Ellery Hall on Make a Movie for May. Matthew McConaughey, who's his actor for M. Trying to talk Sancho Panza out from underneath a tiny table in the kitchen. So Sancho Panza, I don't know who that is, but by process of elimination, it must be the uh, top right component. So, oh, sorry, sorry, uh, the top the bottom right component because the small table is the top right component. So Matthew McConaughey trying to talk Sancho Panza out from underneath a tiny table in the kitchen. The water does not have any gluten. It's gluten free Panza. (laughs) Uh, So, (laughs) and then Panza says, you know, I'm gluten intolerant, uh, Matthew, and I can't take it anymore. (laughs) So I don't know if any of you have gone gluten free or not having gluten because the character means not have. So that's the association that Ellery is making here is that, you know, no gluten does not have gluten. And that's a that's a good association. Fat free uh, does not have gluten sugar free. Great association there. And so Ellery is saying, okay, we've got Sancho Panza under the table. So there's our prop there. And then water does not have gluten. That's the third component. So we have water, Sancho Panza, and the small table. There are props. The meaning of not have comes through with the not having gluten. And uh, so great, excellent scene. And I love the association. My favorite thing about that scene is definitely the association with, uh, you know, not having gluten or gluten free. That's an awesome way to connect to that abstract meaning of not have. J.A. on Make a Movie for way so two copies of winnie the pooh that's the representation of the ooh sound in way uh are in the bathroom of my ei set right so this character way can also be pronounced way it's both so it depends on the context usually in the character im way or the word im way it's pronounced fourth tone but sometimes people pronounce it im way and uh if you're going to say wayla for something um you know, for the purpose of Wayla. That'll be fourth tone pretty much always. But then sometimes if it's like way, shama shama r, shama shama, it's almost always second tone. So uh min r zuo, like for the people, do for the people. Um that's the kind of thing that uh is just you'll get it through context after a while. Anyway, so the, we teach it as fourth tone in here, so it's in the bathroom. Two copies of Winnie the Pooh are in the bathroom of my EI set. They are playing musketeers using extra large eyedroppers as pretend swords. Nice. Uh, so we've got two eyedroppers representing those uh, two drops that are in this character. They have just defeated the bad guy by disabling his bulldo- bulldozer, which is his prop for Lee. One Winnie is standing on the raised dozer scoop. The other is down on the ground. They tip their eyedropper blades to each other as they all declare... All for one and one for all. And of course, that's how we get to the keyword connection of four because that's what the three musketeers said. So I love that. Excellent keyword connection. You got the two eyedroppers. He uses copies there. So copies allow him to get more out of the scene because by having two Winnie the Poohs, you're not going to think that there's any problem with the WU idea there because the WU uh, actor... You could double it up. You could make a thousand Winnie the Poohs. It doesn't matter. The point being that that's what uh, allows for the scene to make more sense because they're having 
a sword fight with the eyedroppers. So if you only had one Winnie the Pooh, it might be harder to create that scene. Next, we have William Edmides on Make a Movie for Zh, which means juice. He says his actor is his cousin Jake for ZH. His location is outside the entrance of his childhood home, and his props are a hose and a Christian cross. It's a hot day outside, and Jake was looking for something refreshing to drink. Looking around, he sees a cross and a hose. Then he has an idea. He picks up the hose and cross, then he commandeth <laughs> he commandeth of the hose to bringeth forth juice. Juice then gushed out, and so it was done. Jake had turned water into juice. <laughs> I like it. You got the Christian symbolism with the Christian cross, uh, the idea of turning water into wine or juice. Uh, and of course, there's also a connection there because I, I remember at church as a kid, uh, you know, they would offer grape juice uh, to people who didn't want to have wine at, communi at communion or for kids. And so that was another connection there. And so that's interesting. How about that? I love it. Very clear symbolism all the way around. Ija on Make a Movie for Gang. This uh, keyword is harbor. The actor it harbors in like a, not harbor resentment or something like that. It's, the harbor is in like an actual water harbor. Actor is George Clooney. Uh, the set is my in-law's house in Ampang, which of course represents Gang, the A-N-G in Gang. Uh, and the props are a water bottle, abacus, and snakeskin suit. It's post-election day, and George Clooney is in the bedroom of my ANG set, preparing for a pro-democracy demonstration with his wife in Fragrant Harbor. And of course, gang is the, the Mandarin word for Hong Kong is xianggang, hence the pro-democracy pro, pro demonstration. Uh, he packed in a water bottle, a bulletproof snakeskin suit, and an abacus to perform head counts of the demonstrators. Okay, sure, yeah. So even though the props aren't necessarily making, uh, you know, each individually making a lot of different um, uh, sort of, like they're not, she's not using the water bottle very clearly or the uh, bulletproof snakeskin suit or the abacus in like a very obvious way, like, it, the snakeskin suit, like, why should the uh, snakeskin suit, you know, I guess it's bulletproof, so she's saying, okay, it's bulletproof, and the water bottle could be water canyons, and the abacus is how they're doing the head counts, so okay, never mind, I stand corrected, you could totally use all these in a way that makes sense logically, so, uh, as usual, Ija's smashing it with these, fantastic. Next, we have William Edmides on Make a Movie for Yen. The key word is to perform. The actor is Yoko Ono. The set is the living room of his AN set. And the props are a hose. Let's see here. Sheer Khan from the Jungle Book, which is the right side component. Yoko Ono is hosting a new show called Nature's Got Talent in the living room of my AN set. Sheer Khan is the first in the audition line. After a quick backstory, he gets underway with an eyebrow raise from Yoko Yoko Cowell, I guess Simon Cowell, uh, Yoko Cowell, I get it, uh, Khan uh, grabs a nearby hose and starts performing by dancing and doing tricks. Bored, Cowell slams the buzzer, followed by Khan crying and running off stage, which I like the emotional context of that because if you've ever watched any of those, uh, you know, different, uh, you know, America's Got Talent, New Zealand's Got Talent or whatever, there's always that either extreme disappointment or extreme excitement in this case William went with the disappointment and the crying that adds emotion to the scene that uh, makes it all the more memorable excellent Deborah Driscoll on make a movie for buy this is the uh, 
character that means hundred. My son Baron walks into the bedroom of our old house with a giant pencil in his hand. He sees a giant white paint tin with a brush sticking out of it. He balances the pencil on top of the brush and spins it around so it flies up in the air like a helicopter. He counts as it whizzes around the room a hundred times. Suddenly, it drops from the sky and lands on the side with a loud bang. If the character was on its side, it would look to me like the number 100. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I was going to say the the spins around a hundred times is probably not clear enough, but uh, it is true that if you were to put this character on its side, you can see how it might look like 100. So that ending like that makes it visual enough that I think this works. Lovely. Excellent. So finally, we'll end today's podcast with some prop suggestions, and uh, we'll run through these pretty quickly, but let's uh, just take a look at some of these prop suggestions here. William Edmides on pick a prop for Den. He says a duck bill could also be an option. Um, Den being like, uh, meaning single. Uh, and so a duck bill. Yeah, sure. You got the, They've got that single bill in the top, right? And then uh, River Nixon on pick a prop for Tien, which means to see a magnifying glass. Excellent. River Nixon on pick a prop for show. Nearly headless Nick, because show means head. So that's excellent there. Yeah, of course, nearly headless Nick um, was hilarious in the Harry Potter series. Connor Griffith on pick a prop for Wong. Considering this kind of looks like a grill to me, in order to make it cause things to perish, I want uh, I went with the brazen bull. Well, I don't know what the brazen bull is, but I assume it's a connection to a grill and perishing. So, excellent. That's fine, because wang, like si wang, is the word that means to perish. Connor Griffith on pick a prop for fung. Rock'em Sock'em Robots. Alternatively, a wrestling ring. I love it. Perfect. Yeah, because uh, fung, in this case, it just looks like a Rock'em Sock'em Robot to me. So, that that makes sense. William Edmides on pick a prop for fa. An envelope, because, of course, you're going to send out letters, so an envelope is perfect for that. Connor Griffith on pick a prop for Bing, which is, uh, in this case, it's, um, well, he's going with what it looks like, which is, he says, a dynamite plunger. So, yeah, I like that, because I can imagine, yeah, that dynamite plunger pushing it down. It actually does look quite like that. That's the best example of that uh, prop I've seen so far. Good job, Connor. Connor again on pick a prop for shirt, which is a, a an indication of a last name, somebody's last name. Like, oh, what's your surname? And the 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 idea of shirt is there. And he says the Smith agents from the Matrix. Smith being the most common surname in the English speaking world. Ewan Grant on pick a prop for bay, which is uh, means a seashell. Shell oil. Yep, makes perfect sense. Shell oil has got a very clear uh, logo, so you can just imagine that, and that works out perfectly. Chris on pick a prop for Da. Uh, WWE Roman Reigns, nicknamed the Big Dog. So, okay, excellent. I was never a huge fan of like pro wrestling or any of that when I was a kid, but some of my friends were and they were so into it. And so, if you were into it and you can think of a WWE uh, person who could serve as a uh, an, either an actor or a prop, they're great for it because they have such charismatic uh, personalities and they did such, you know, uh, sort of intense things with their body and despite the uh pre-scripting of these things it was still like what these guys had to do with their bodies was true athletic their true feats of athleticism ewan grant on pick a prop for yeah bastion from the never-ending story because of course yeah means page and of course never-ending story is pages in a book and all of that so i love it excellent stuff 
you guys, awesome uh, suggestions this week. Great questions as usual. If you have any questions for us in the future, contact at mandarinblueprint.com. You're all excellent. I'm so happy to be able to do this uh, every week with you guys, and uh, we'll see you next week.